0: Welcome to the Circular Economy Podcast, where we find out how circular approaches make a better business and a better world. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting to those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. We'll find out how circular principles can create value increase resilience and reduce risk to make a competitive, sustainable organisation. You'll find the show notes and links at www.circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and useful resources. Today, I'm talking to Catherine Whalen, known to most people as Katie, Katie researches business aspects of the circular economy at Lund University as part of Mistra Rees, a Swedish research programme on the circular economy. She's particularly interested in business model innovation, entrepreneurship, and game based learning. Katie is founder of In the Loop Games, which aims to make education for sustainable development both understandable and fun. Katie, welcome to the podcast. And I'd love to know more about your background, how you got into the circular economy, and where it's taken you so far.
1: Thank you so much, Catherine. It's a pleasure to be here. Right now, I'm, yeah, as you said, I'm doing my PhD at Lund University, uh, and I'm looking at the business aspects of circular economy. I didn't always um, start with business aspects of circular economy. I actually had a very interesting start to my career. I was originally a ship designer, uh, so I I studied at Webb Institute in the U.S., uh, which focuses on naval architecture and marine engineering. And then after doing that and having experience in the maritime industry, I thought, maybe I want to work on something a little bit more broader than, than ships. So I broadened to product design, and I did my my industrial design engineering masters at TU Delft. And I really have to credit TU Delft as where I started with getting interested in the idea of circular economy and sustainability. So my thesis advisor at Delft uh, was Professor David Peck. And he was, he was the first one really who introduced me to this idea of circular economy. And I liked it because it was a focus on systems change rather than just making products a little bit less bad, you know. So, not just saying, "Oh, we're going to make this new toothbrush that uses a little bit less energy or uses a little bit less materials," but really rethinking how we actually use products. Why do we want to use a toothbrush? How can we, you know, make sure this toothbrush ends up at the correct uh, location at end of life that we can loop materials back from this toothbrush. Uh, So that was kind of how I really got interested and excited in this idea of circular economy. And now I think we're getting into my entire professional career. But after TU Delft, I had the chance to work at Circle Economy in Amsterdam, which is a non-for-profit organization that helps businesses and uh, policy to accelerate the transition to a more circular economy. And while I was there, I was leading the circular design program at Circle, uh, and I had the chance to work with the Circo team, which is a project that still is ongoing today, uh, which is trying to implement circular initiatives in organizations and implement circular innovation. So I was working with small and medium-sized enterprises in the Netherlands to try to facilitate uh, this, this innovation towards a more circular economy, which kind of actually drew me to my PhD position, which I'm in right now, because as I was working with all of these companies, I kept finding questions and thinking, this must have been done already. or There must be some sort of way to get an answer to this. And of course, you know, you're not having so much time to really go in depth with that. And that's what attracted me to the, to the PhD position as a chance to really have some time to dedicate and go in depth in, the, in this subject. And so, so while I was actually uh, in Delft, I uh, created the in the loop game as my master's thesis project.
0: Really impressive how much um, people at TU Delft influenced you and, and kind of helped you think about systems picture. And, you know, as you say, not just tweaking things so they're a little bit less bad. And... Could you tell us how you came up with the idea for the game and how you developed it?
1: Definitely. I, I, you have to stop me if I talk too much about the game, because I probably could go on for for hours on this, Catherine. But uh, so it started when I was at TU Delft, as I said, and I was working with lecturers and, and professors there like David Peck, who were trying to make the topic of critical materials and circular economy interesting and and engaging for people because what often happened was these lecturers would get up front of the class and talk about circular economy and and material scarcity and people would kind of just look at them and a little bit later on there would just sort of be like a lot of puzzled faces from, from, from the students because this idea of Circular economy, as you know, is quite a complex uh, topic that's connected to a lot of different issues. Uh, So what I wanted to do was try to make it fun and engaging for people and a way to have people discover this topic in a a really interesting and different kind of way. So what the, the game does is it focuses on 12 different materials that are found in the periodic table of elements and they're also deemed as critical by the european uh, union and most of these products are most of these materials for example neodymium or beryllium or antimony you and i probably have never really stopped much to think about these products maybe we or these materials maybe we had them in the you know in chemistry class back in secondary secondary school but they're found in a lot of like the high-tech products that we use today. So, you know, this this laptop that we're, and this uh, the phone that people are maybe gonna listen to the podcast on. These are materials that are crucial to making tech function as we know it. Um, so, the reason that the EU has deemed these as critical is because of concerns about access to supply, and the demand for these different materials. Um, there's a lot of different reasons why there are concerns about access to supply, and I won't get in, into those now because, but the game sort of exemplifies these reasons. Um, but maybe a really tangible example is that, like, anything can be critical, so not just these materials that are found uh, in the list by the EU. I was actually reading this story the other day about how Party City, which is a, a party supply company in the US, and they have been needing to shut down some stores actually because helium, which is one of the key materials to filling balloons, the heli- they've had problems with high prices and access to helium. So uh, since a lot of their company is actually dependent on selling balloons, um, they've really faced a, uh, they've had a struggle now um, because they're actually not, not able to supply. Supply balloons and deliver on their key one of their key value propositions.
0: Wow, that's really interesting, and I think it highlights just how precarious a business can be if one if it's dependent on one or just a handful of resources, things that could have been abundantly available. And if we're thinking about um, you know lithium in batteries, now that everybody wants to move away from liquid fuels and use Electric power for things, there's such a um, massive increase in demand for batteries. So, that's gone from something that wouldn't have been in high demand maybe 10, 20 years ago to suddenly everybody's worried about it. And I think for every business, doing a risk assessment on what materials do you use and what do you know about how abundant they are, might they be subject to um, trade tariffs or something unexpectedly? Um, you know, as has happened this year between um, America and China, that s- suddenly the game can change instantly.
1: Exactly. And and that's sort of coming back to, to in the loop, the game. And, and this is sort of what unfolds in the game as you play. So you're a manufacturing product, uh, manufacturing company, and that you you realize that there are these different material challenges that you have to be con- that you are confronted with. And you have to figure out how can you actually navigate these material challenges and how could I rethink what I'm actually doing? And this is where it kind of leads into the circular economy aspect. So instead of just taking products, making products and taking materials, making products and you know, discarding them at the end of life, how can we actually recapture this value? Could we do repair? Could we do remanufacturing? Could we recycle? Um, so the game is a bit of a microcosm for what, what we're facing today and the different 21st challenges that we're facing in regards to materials, as you said, these, you know, battery demand and, and increased demand and different geopolitical events such as the US and China.
0: So it sounds like a really fun way to introduce people to the circular economy and some of the reasons why it's so important to to understand and to think about how you could embed circular principles into your own organization to make it more resilient and fit for the future. Mm-hmm. What kind of reactions have you had with people playing the game? Have there been some light bulb moments for people?
1: Yes. So the, the response has been very positive and people really are engaged when they're they're playing the game. So sometimes because of time constraints they they you know only have maybe 45 minutes to an hour to really get into playing it and if we don't quite finish beforehand they still get the the learning lessons but they also kind of get upset because they're like oh we were so close to just finishing. So I think that that gives me encouragement because people do really enjoy playing the game and they are really interested in in the topic um, I think yeah one of the one of the I've played with a variety of different audiences so uh, high school students are currently using this in different um, uh, there's an example of different tech tech days where uh, they have researchers coming together and they uh, have to, do, they do a little bit of introduction on critical materials and then the high school students play the game. Uh, different materials educators are also incorporating it into uh, into their uh, their their classrooms. I've had uh, business uh, schools uh, actually use this in part of their MBA programs and have also played it uh, with different uh, companies. So there is quite a, a lot of audience. I think One of the most memorable parts of the game is what are called event cards. So these are kind of things, actually what you said about the tariffs with the US and China, there is a somewhat similar event in the game. Uh, So it, it causes a materials disruption. And these are the ones that I think that really make the players reflect and pause and consider what this could actually mean for their own company, or if they're, for example, students playing it, what could this mean for the company that they might be working for in the future? So really trying to think about a really like a risk assessment and could we do something in a different way and still capture value without having it to be dependent on the physical resources. So I think that's a, that's the, that's for me has been really the, the excitement and the, the fun is seeing how people react to it and really engaged with it. And another aspect has been when people have been playing with different groups. So not just, uh, yeah, not just like the innovation team, for example, but if you have the supply and the purchasing guy sitting next to the innovation person, uh, sitting next to the marketing director and really seeing their discussions that come from the game. And I had one, one time playing it where we were at this company and then I asked the supply guy, so what do you think about this event? And he's like, yeah. And then he could rattle off five different examples. So I think it really five different, he could rattle off five different examples of where this was something that was relatable in their organization. So I think that this, this kind of exchange of knowledge and using it as a starting point to have discussions really opens up for, uh, for more in-depth discovery and, uh, yeah it's it's really a starting point for discussion.
0: Yeah that's fascinating and it reminds me of um the game that I included in the in the book so that was designed by Barry Wadilov who's now working for Electrolux over in the um USA in their product design department and when he was testing the game he found really great conversations emerging when he'd got different functional teams to play the game on their own and he was recording the outputs so you'd have the finance team playing it and then separately the manufacturing team and separately the sales team and so on and when he consolidated all the different aspects and kind of played that back to the management team things emerged that had never been um sort of aired before, you know, people's worries about something or people's concerns about the way it worked now because of a different department doing it this way. And so there there was tremendous value. And he was convinced that those conversations probably wouldn't have happened if he'd got everybody in the room playing it together. It was only by allowing people to focus on their part of the business and what really worried them about, say, um, you know, scarcity of supply or the reliability of a manufacturing process or whatever so i think this kind of cross-functional approach is an interesting angle for companies to explore in whatever way they're engaging with the circular economy but you know allowing people to think about it from their own team's perspective first mm. yeah so that's, 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 uh, that's good.
1: I actually now that you say this, I remember I Barry actually came over to the circle offices and I sat down with him and he showed me this as well. So I actually walked through this a bit with him and yeah, it's great to hear how that developed.
0: Yeah. Thinking about your PhD, going back to your PhD, what other insights emerged about business and business engagement with the circular economy? You you talked about um, some of the companies that you work with, Giab and Inrego, um, who are doing repair and remanufacturing of computer equipment and so on.
1: I think what I, what really impresses me, and uh, from some of the com- and especially from some of the companies that I'm seeing, is how they're able to capture this uh, this sort of value that's currently being missed. So, for example, Giab is this organization in Sweden that works with, uh, they work with insurance providers to do repair uh, and collection of mobile phones that have um, that have been broken. Uh, but they also, they have a different, what they call like the mobile phone circle. So if they're not able to repair it, they actually send it to a remanufacturing partner uh, who provides them with remanufactured phones. So then they're able to actually offer the customer a a remanufactured phone in place of their original phone that actually broke. So they're working with different levels of the circular economy. And I think it's brilliant that they're also able to find unique partnership opportunities. So as I said, they work with this insurance company. And what they noticed when they started working with the insurance company was that that they actually were able to have the insurance company save money because now what used to be the case was that the insurance company someone would make a claim and then the insurance company would have a payout uh, there was no follow-up about was the phone actually being taken back or not but now uh, that job is collecting the phones they have actually had a reduction in the number of uh, claims that have followed through because, so I I think it's, you know, avoiding people who probably were just making false claims in order to hope hope and get the payout. Um, So not only is it, you know, saving the insurance company uh, and providing a win-win solution for them, they're also being able to offer, you know, this channel for remanufactured phones and also being able to repair and extend the lives of phones that would have just been discarded and people would have had new phones purchased. So I think that's quite a brilliant business model from the perspective of finding something that exists that there is this, you know, uncaptured value and how can you rethink how we're currently doing it and making, uh, making it uh, a better, a better way. So I think that is for me, one of the really, the upsides of the circular economy. And I think, you know, coming of course, there are, you know, the sort of the barriers on, on the flip side, obviously, you know, Geob is concerned about the supply of, Products, so they 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 need to have these repaired or these you know broken phones coming in. So how do you actually predict these volumes? And um, what happens if you know products are now actually designed to last longer? So there's a lot of different questions about um, opportunities for capturing value, but then also the the challenges that, that come about with implementing implementing this. Mm-hmm.
0: so Katie when we've talked before we've talked about how to engage the people in the organization not just the employees and managers but the people in the kind of wider system at suppliers at customers and so on and you said you had some uh some thoughts on on needing to focus more on the people side of things to implement circular economy models
1: yeah I think that's one of the things that I'm I keep hearing from different thought leaders now and also just from working my experience with working with the companies is that we think and you know especially from designers we think oh we can just design this system and it's gonna it's it's great it makes sense it's gonna it's gonna function everyone's gonna you know bring their toothbrushes in for collection um (laughs) going back to my earlier example but I think one of the things is like the Focusing on on people and also what motivates people to actually make a change, because circular economy is, you know, as much as we think maybe it's a it's a smarter way of doing things, it's still something different than what the status the status quo is right now. So, to take you know to follow up on the Job, the company that I was just talking about, um, one of the challenges that they encountered when they were actually trying to uh, work with their partners. Was that initially their partners didn't know how to sort of work with with Giob the company? They didn't they didn't have you know employees who were informed about the fact that Giob would take phones back. Um, so they actually really spent a lot of time investing in trainings and talking with people and saying, oh, have you seen this online program that we have? And here's what you can do you know instead of how you thought you made a claim in the in the past. Like how about sending the phones to Geob and really implementing this change took quite a, quite a while. And I've seen it with other companies um, that I've uh, had experience working with as well. So um, there was an organization that was switching to a product service system uh, model. And, you know, you have these salespeople who are used to having outright sales. Uh, They're used to just selling the product one time. Um, But with the product service system, it's a completely different way of selling it. So it's, you know, you're having longer term customer relationships. And you, uh, yeah, that's also changing, of course, how the customer, uh, the, the finances from the customer's perspective. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a switch. And with this example of this company, there were, you know, the salespeople had to be involved in this decision and actually had to educate the customer about the benefits to switching to this program. So I think we often forget, you know, when we're sort of at the design stage of it, that just because we think that this is a better way of doing something that unless we actually have people on board that we have buy-in from you know everyone in the organization, it's uh, it reminds me of of interface and a story that I heard from interface when it was uh, Ray Anderson who was the the founder of interface and you know. He really had this idea of having everyone in the organization know about the company and its missions and its goals. Uh, and I was talking to one of the managers uh, a couple of years ago at Interface, and she said, one of the good things and what makes me proud to work at Interface is if you no matter who you talk to at the company, so you talk to the designer or you talk to the forklift truck driver, like they know what this company is about they know what the mission of this company is. Um, And I think that is something that we could really bring into this discussion on circular economy.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And building the purpose or the mission into the heart of everything that you do and making sure that all the different functional aspects, whether it's logistics and warehousing or sales or whatever, that everybody, knows what the underlying purpose of, of that is and that they whatever their part is should complement that
1: yeah and ken webster was on my podcast a couple of weeks ago and he was saying like his two rules the number one rule is don't kill your customer and don't kill their custom and i think yeah it really illustrates this you know focusing on the people and not just uh not just this this idea, but really focusing on the purpose and why and and who who is actually involved um, in the circular economy.
0: But yeah, those two kind of epithets, I thought were brilliant. It's about having a customer for life, but also having a product or a service for life that they can keep using. Not, you know, and this was one of the, the issues you touched on earlier on, wasn't it? That if you give somebody a mobile phone that's going to last their lifetime, you know, and it's never going to break down, then Having partners who are just waiting to repair it—they're not going to get much much business. That's not to say you should build in um, uh, breakdowns or or obsolescence, yeah. but it's kind of uh, having everybody in, on the same page in terms of the aims and and how we're how we're trying to get there and how all these business partners are going to be supported in terms of the, um, yeah. the overall product delivery.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's that's something that just. I personally, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, like we don't really have this discussion, but it's kind of like, okay, so we want everyone to be contributing. But then if we actually are designing products in a very smart, smart way, then then there are winners and there are losers. And how does this, you know, really, how does this, how does this play out? I'm, you know, the verdict is still out. So, but we need to have these discussions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And how do you feel the circular economy is progressing And what kind of things do you think would help it gain pace?
1: I'm very enthusiastic in how it's grown. It's really become now almost a household kind of thing, especially depending on which country you're in, I think. I I think in the Netherlands, for example, uh, they routinely have articles about circular economy in, in the newspapers and, you know, circular economy is... Part of the you know vernacular uh, almost. Um, I, so with that, there's also maybe the concern that it follows a little bit down the path of kind of greenwashing and and sustainability because now everything is not just you know green and sustainable, but it's also circular. Um, I was in the Netherlands and I saw like there were the world's first circular economy chips, like a chip, mm. a potato chips, and I was thinking okay, this is really, this is super interesting. but And maybe this company is, you know, legit, but then there's always the potential that there are companies that just want to, you know, exploit it. Um, So I think we can maybe learn a bit from the past and how do we sort of progress uh, with this idea so that we don't have it, uh, maybe, yeah, maybe it is now just a buzzword. I think also, though, that there's a lot of opportunities to look back and maybe previous research. uh, Maybe this is where my academic side (laughs) probably comes out. But I think there's a lot of previous research as well that can help us to achieve the goals that we want to achieve today. So back in, I think it was the early 90s, there was a lot of literature on design for recycling and a lot of smart investment into how can we actually disassemble products um, mechanically or how can we disassemble them chemically? How do we have technology to actually allow us to do that? And it kind of hit a bit of a dead end. It wasn't really adopted in practice, but now I think we're seeing a resurgence of interest. Um, There are some some companies and I believe Apple is one of these companies that is actually trying to do a lot with design for recycling and taking what the knowledge that you've, that was the, you know, the foundation that was laid 20, 30 years ago and applying it in practice today. So I think there's a lot of potential uh, for us to, you know, learn and look back at things that have been done in the past and, and how can we actually apply that in practice today?
0: Yeah, I agree. i um if you look at where the circular economy emerged from then lots of schools are thought on industrial ecology and um, permaculture and so on and still have lots of interesting um, approaches to to add to the way that we're thinking about things now and we've we've talked a little bit about your current projects and we've mentioned the podcast a couple of times so just to let people know that you recently launched your in the loop podcast or getting in the loop podcast which i've um been lucky enough to appear on alongside your more eminent guests like ken webster you know how's how's that going and what plans do you have for um projects in the in the rest of this year and next year
1: (laughs) well it was it was great to have you on the show, Catherine, because you definitely brought a lot with your your experience, and I think you're right up there with Ken Webster. So don't don't need to don't need to uh, undersell yourself. But so yeah, as you said, I'm doing the, the Getting in the Loop podcast, which is a weekly uh, podcast exploring people who are. Working with this idea of circular economy, and so you know, staying up to date with what's happening with circular economy, and yeah, listeners can check that out at gettinginthelooppodcast.com. Um, I'm also working on uh, new ways to engage people in the idea of circular economy. So I have a, a, a second, well, a second edition of In the Loop uh, is in the works. Uh, And I'm also uh, adding a little bit to sort of the (laughs) InnoLoop games portfolio with uh, a game that I co-developed with some uh, organizations as part of an EIT uh, raw materials funded project. This new game is called Risk and Race, and it's focused more on the business aspects of circular economy. So what does moving, for example, to a product service system, what does that do to your organization, to your balance sheet, um, and how do you uh, work with limited resources? So not just material resources, but also monetary and human resources. So it's it's definitely more of an entrepreneurial focused focused game. And so aside from these uh, these games and the podcast, I'm also I, I will also be defending my PhD uh, within the next year, so we'll see what happens. What happens after that, and and uh, the new opportunities that that come my way, because I I think that I would like to go back more into practice. Uh, you know, I still right now I have one foot in academia, one foot in in practice, um, but we'll we'll see what happens.
0: It sounds like you've got lots of great ideas for how to engage people and business in different ways of thinking about future business models and so on. So I'm sure those all, you know, add a lot to everybody's understanding of how we can do things better.
1: Yeah, I hope so.
0: Moving on to a couple of the standard questions that I'm trying to ask people in these podcasts. Um, first of all, do you have a favorite circular economy business example that you like to use when you're explaining it to people?
1: I think I, I gave you my one of my number one examples with with Gob of uh, but I, I really am a fan of organizations such as uh, Norsk Umbrook. I think that's how you, you pronounce it. So this is based in Norway. And what they're doing is they're also partnering with different organizations to do remanufacturing and repair of uh, white goods. Um, so it's really this idea of how can we extend the value of a product uh, after after its life, or its initial life, and how can we extend it uh, and and have it last longer and not just go to waste immediately? I'm also a big fan of organ companies that have been trying to rethink their value proposition in terms of how they they sell things and to really incorporate this sort of mentality and get it across to the to the consumers and to the to the, the users of their products so uh swedish in a, another swedish example is nudie jeans and they have lifetime repairs of their their jeans um so what you can do is they have certain stores where you can go in and you can actually get it repaired and if you don't have a nudie jeans store location near you? They actually will send you a repair kit. Um, Pat- Patagonia is another great example that has repair guidelines and care care guidelines for all of their products on their website. And um, so I really think, you know, going back to our discussion about people, this is also a really great way to engage people in this idea of taking care of your products, uh, questioning even do you need to buy this new product. Um, the the patagonia don't buy this jacket example of um the the ad that they had in the new york times is you know communicate the fact that they're not just about growth but they're really about commitment to environment and commitment to uh how people are using their product and really to extend the lifetimes as as much as possible so that was more than just one favorite example but a couple of different examples that that came that came to mind um that I, that I think are really good initiatives.
0: Yeah, and I agree with the uh, Patagonia example. Um, yesterday I was wearing my uh, fleece gilet bought in about 2004 um, and the zip zip broke a few years ago. Um, and so I sent it back for free repair and it's still going strong. I'm uh, often dressed head to, head to toe in Patagonia gear.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs>
0: And and what they're finding is, you know, although they're more expensive than their um, direct competition, particularly in the clothing and so on, people are prepared to pay for that because they know there's this ironclad guarantee behind it that if anything goes wrong, Patagonia will take it back, will repair it, will replace it. You can even send stuff back at the end of life so it doesn't have to go to landfill. It gets recycled. Um, uh, One of the recent things they're doing is recycled cashmere. So, yeah. Um, yeah, kind of um, lots lots of initiatives. So the final question, Katie, who would you recommend as a future guest for the program?
1: We talked a little bit about this. I, I would definitely, uh, I could introduce you to Matilda Jarbin from, from Giob who could actually give like a, a lot more information about their business model and the challenges and opportunities that they've had as they have grown their business tremendously in the last four, four, four or five years. Um, I think that would be really a fascinating discussion to see how it's actually being implemented on the ground. Um, and one of the things that they've been doing recently is trying to bring their business model to new markets. So that could also be really interesting to see like the different challenges as you try to replicate a circular business model um in one country and then when you go to another country all of the different challenges and legislation and the way just the way that things are done can be completely different so i think uh, matilda would be a great person to talk to another person that i could recommend is eric peterson from Enrego, who is uh doing a repair and refurbishment of uh of laptops uh, and what they do is they're more business to business focused, and they, I've had the chance to go to their facilities, and it's really crazy to see just how this is actually being done in practice at large scale.
0: Great. Well, they sound like excellent examples that that could um, you know help businesses looking at this to understand more about what's involved and you know how you get started and what things to look out for on the way. Katie, how could people get in touch with you afterwards? Well, I'm
1: on Twitter at Ka, and they can feel free to tweet me, send me messages. Uh, You can also uh, find out more information about the In The Loop game or the Risk and Race game at intheloopgames.com. And you can check out the Getting In The Loop podcast at gettinginthelooppodcast.com.
0: Great stuff. And I'll put all those links in the show notes too. So brilliant. Thank you, Katie. That was a really interesting discussion. We covered lots of different areas there. And I'm really impressed by your deep thinking about the systems aspect and all the different questions that businesses need to um, contemplate before they kind of start the journey. So I think that will um, be really useful for people um, considering making their businesses more circular.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Catherine, for having me on.
0: If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. You can get in touch via the website rethinkglobal.info or send us a tweet at rethink underscore global. Please let us know what you think of the podcast and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time.